the podcast for the Formula One fanatic with me, Chris Moss and Jake Peach. Thank you for stopping by and listening to the podcast. Don't forget, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss a new episode. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Around the Outside Podcast on Facebook and we're at Podcast underscore on Instagram. But you should all know that by now. Well, things are really heating up in the title battle and it's not because we've reached the Middle East for our final trip across the world with our first stop in Qatar, with our first ever stop there, Jake. Uh, And then obviously we're then going to a new track afterwards in a couple of weeks' time at Jeddah in Saudi Arabia for what is the final leg of the F1 calendar. Obviously, we look ahead towards the race this weekend and round up all the latest goings on and off the track, to which there's been quite a bit in the last seven days been a whirlwind few days but first let's take you back to Interlagos last weekend well in Brazil we had our third sprint race event which meant a different looking weekend from traditional qualifying for the sprint on Friday and the result of the sprint race deciding the grid for Sunday's full distance race it was anything but plain sailing for Mercedes though who seemed to have their back against the wall the whole weekend Chris there was a whole host of penalties on and off the track um touching rear wings all around for Red Bull as well and the two title protagonists just really going at each other both on and off the track and it's all happening it's really hotting up now isn't it yeah I mean to say the stewards really earned their bacon it's very true (laughs) yeah well there was several penalties Uh, firstly there was one for Hamilton uh, changing his engine uh, before that uh, he was going to be starting taking a five place grid penalty starting the Sunday's race five places back however as a result of a failed rear wing test um, for, for the DRS flap on Hamilton's car by something of 0.2 millimetres or something ridiculously small like that Hamilton was disqualified from the sprint qualifying which he claimed pole because of that test failure. So then that meant he had to start at the back of the grid for the shorter sprint race, which, of course, if you think about it, he has less time to make up the places and uh, recover, if you like, and and da- limit the damage, damage limitation for Hamilton and Mercedes. But in what was an incredible drive and performance across the whole weekend, that first performance in the sprint race, he went from P20 on the grid to finish P5 at the end of the race in literally 20-something laps. What an incredible performance it was, Chris. I, mean, I don't think I've seen a drive like that in a long time. I mean, everybody who watched the Grand Prix, I mean, even the pundits there, Charles Leclerc as well, saying it's more than just the car what Lewis Hamilton performed with that weekend. It was mm-hmm. very Senna-esque. It was very championship-winning-esque. Um, it's obviously races that we've seen Lewis do before now uh, where he's needed to pull something out of the bag and he's delivered Um, but to go 20th to 5th in 24 laps is yeah pretty incredible and to be fair I I don't know many drivers who would have been able to do the same in that scenario Mm. And then what we're thinking about the sprint race result then. So this then meant that because he was finished P5, he had to take then the five place grid penalty for changing his ICE 
uh, engine, into its internal combustion engine in his power unit, which of course then meant he started P10, ended up coming home first place, but it wasn't without instant in the race because there was a very interesting wheel-to-wheel battle with Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton when he was chasing Max down, coming into turn four and was trying to pass him for the first time. And let's just say Max made the road a bit wider than it was. The middle of the road was very much held. Yes. Um, So Max basically forced Hamilton off the track, but not in an, I don't think in a deliberate way, just they both braked really late into the corner. Um, But loads of other people are saying as well that they've seen the onboard footage now that's come out in the last few days. And Verstappen was checking his mirrors all the time whilst Hamilton was charging after him uh, and about to overtake him around the outside into turn four. And a lot of people thought it was deliberate. Um, so, Chris, we've had a we've had a review on it, and the stewards at the time in the race in Brazil decided not to investigate the incident. So then that was put to bed in the race. But Hamilton had to do the business on the track and ended up overtaking Verstappen anyway a few laps later for the win and finished almost ten corner. seconds ahead <laughs> at the same corner. Ironically, uh, and then after the race. We might as well address this now because it's, you know it links to the news. But after the race, Mercedes during the week lodged a right to review, which if you remember back to Silverstone, Rebel did the same to Mercedes uh, when Hamilton and Verstappen came together at Cops Corner. That wasn't successful because at the time the FIA states with these kind of reviews, there must be new and significant evidence to warrant a review or taking a look at the incident again and, and analyzing it uh, right in you know in finer detail so in that discussion that that instance in Silverstone there wasn't any new significant evidence because Redboard pretty much staged a dedicated test day with Alex Albon to reconstruct the situation of what happened whereas in this case in Brazil arguably you could say there wasn't the onboard footage of Max Verstappen at the time of, of that moment when Hamilton was trying to go around the outside and overtake him. So Mercedes looked like they had more of a case uh, and met the conditions more than Rebel did in the previous times at Silverstone. However, then we found out in literally just this weekend when we were in Qatar that that appeal process was dismissed and wasn't even accelerated to the next stage to consider it uh, for appeal. So... I found that a bit strange because not even getting to the next stage, you know, to to discuss it, the rules clearly state if there's new and significant evidence, then it can be reviewed at least. And then, then in the second stage, they could decide, oh, well, it's not significant enough. But they did that in the first stage. They didn't think it was anything different. Chris, essentially, after, you know, after all of what has gone on and in the season and it's so close, how do you see it? Everyone's had their view. I mean, it's very touch and go. We've seen it with, to be fair, it happens ten most of the time on the sprint races. Um, mm. There always seems to be an altercation between these two. Um, obviously, I was at Silverstone and it was very much a freeway blame. One, one being no blame at all. One, mm. Hamilton was at fault and one was Max should have just, you know, left a bit more room. Um to which obviously we know how that ended. Lewis got a 10 second penalty, one yeah. race, and Max scored no points. Um, obviously, when we had Monza, 
Max then mm. landed on top of Lewis. Um, <laughs> got a free play sweep penalty. Um, yeah. And obviously this is the first one where neither party has got a penalty. Both come away unscathed and both finish the race, in which was you know a great battle for the fans. So are you with the are you in the view then that you know what's happened has happened both didn't you know really lose out and so to speak it should have been left like I mean, it has I wouldn't say both didn't lose out I'd say both probably did lose out because both went off the track and lost time yeah to which mm. you know if if but it's but I'm saying there's been like an equilibrium isn't there it's it it it's Hamilton still yeah, passed I mean, him I mean, it didn't Lewis ended up getting the move done mm. in the race anyway so I, I feel even though Mercedes can be quite angry I think a lot of fans at the time of the race were pretty angry of what happened. Yeah. Um, you know, the result happened where Lewis still won the race. You know, most Lewis fans got their man to win. Max yeah. got second. So damage limitation, you know, ironically, when Lewis started at the back of the grid at the weekend. Mm, um, mm. But, you know, he's still very much leading the championship with three rounds to go. Did you think Max was at fault? Do you think he it was a bit it was it was on the edge? I mean, out, out of the two, you can't really put any fault on Lewis because Lewis was mm. already on the outside. Mm. If you're gonna lay any blame, it'll be on Max. But you know they both went off the track. Max had his steering wheel fully locked going for the turn four. Yeah, you know it is what it is. The sounds like sounds like to me that you think the right decision was was concluded in the end, having had the dust settle a little bit, you know, and people taking a second look at it. I mean, and I personally... We want to see hard racing. Um, yeah. Mm. I think, you know, a lot of drivers in the heat at the moment, we had, we had Lewis obviously say when of no course. investigation was happening, <laughs> oh, you know, of course not. Um, you know, a lot of stuff is very much said in the heat at the moment. Yeah. But, you know, that's when you got to knuckle down and try and, you know, get move move forward and get on with it. Yeah, and that's exactly what they did, and they went on to win. And Max still second. I mean, you know, it's, he obviously wants to be first, but it could have been a lot worse. They could have come together, and Max could have come off worse, and Hamilton could have got away unscathed, and we could be talking about a whole different scenario right now. So I think, retrospectively, it's good the way it's gone. And trying to bring our attention onto the track rather than off the track like we like we always uh, are in this sport but anyway enough about Max and Lewis I'm sure we'll come back on to um, not too not too distant future in this episode I want to talk about a solid performance from Ferrari who we know were struggling uh, well well towards the beginning of the season uh, definitely last season had a bit of a roller coaster ride but a solid performance from Ferrari at Brazil who brought it home in fifth and sixth ahead of McLaren and really cementing those third places in the constructors' title, Chris, and it made even worse for McLaren because Daniel Ricciardo had to retire because the team found a crack in the chassis. Uh, Lando Norris, who's of course had some solid results this season, could only manage P10 to bring a point home for the team. So a strong outing for Ferrari, and definitely, definitely uh, needed going into these last few races. Yeah, Ferrari have definitely, you know, ramped up the pressure for that battle for third. I mean, they're sort of getting the same sort of momentum as Mercedes are. You know, they're starting to find a bit of momentum, especially mm. after Brazil. Um, obviously, when we spoke to Sarah at the beginning of the season, Mercedes, um, McLaren was definitely the, the team on the up out of the yep. two. And obviously then since we've spoken to Ryan, um, yeah, Ferrari have been the ones that are on the up. So, yeah. you know... 
Maybe the pe- we're just influencing the championship by talking um, to Oh, do you think? Well, yeah, we're having a direct impact on the Formula 1 championship. We have all the power. I, I, I feel like we need to get somebody in from Haas, and who knows, they might score some <laughs> <laughs> Anyone from Haas? Well, to prove... To prove that theory, that would be that would be quite scary, actually, if, if that was to come true. Um, but just on Ferrari, I mean, I know this is not a direct comparison because last season we only had 17 races on the calendar. This season, we got 23 rounds. Um, but Ferrari, just to show their, their class this season and where they've come from, have almost, you know, well, not almost, they have racked up more than double their points total uh, this season compared to the last, which just, I think, just shows how far... They've come and there's just a solid results of signs now settling into the team. Uh, Charles Leclerc, always a safe pair of hands, um, a really quick, just naturally talented too. It really shows that there's a there's a great relationship there and, and, and Ferrari hopefully, just just as they're getting on the, the momentum train as it were, looking to take that into next season and uh, finish strongly on the, on the end of this season. But it's looking like they're going to pick up this third place. Yeah, momentum's definitely in the hands of Ferrari, like I said. Um just you know after such a difficult 2020 season where you know it's the worst in 40 years since 1980 Mm, mm. you know the only way ferrari could go is up (laughs) yeah and luckily Mm -hmm. for us they have gone up they haven't won a race yet this season they've come close on many occasions you know we've had second place at silverstone you know two laps away from the end uh, before Mm. charlotte claire got overtaken and they did have engine troubles in that race obviously we see Carlos Sainz getting on the podium a few times this season as well. And they've, they've had a lot of solid fourth places as well with Charles Leclerc. So consistency-wise, they're, they're doing a lot better and they're up the right end of the, of the grid. Mm. Um, but and it's just trying to get that balance of doing it across the entire season. Obviously, at yep. the beginning of the season, they, you know, they weren't up there, up there, but they were sort of middle of the mid-pack. But now they're sort of getting up there you know, up until this weekend where, you know, the battle was very challenging between between them two. So mm. know, it's very much a battle on for the end of the season. And Max, uh, not Max, Sergio proving to be a trusty wingman once again, because of course he did his job in stealing the one point away for the fastest lap uh, right at the end, right at the dead. Uh, to try and minimise the impact of Mercedes at Brazil. I just want to touch on the, the fastest lap point rule with you and, and that that whole, whole dynamic. We never saw it before this season where teams would pit their second drivers, let's be honest, or their driver in that position in the race to take away a point. And otherwise it would be right to the end of the race and we wouldn't be thinking about it. But this season it's a whole new dynamic and sort of cog in the wheel if you like that teams have to think about are you are you a fan of the fastest lap point rule that's that's coming I mean, for this season or do you think it's they, kind of altering the racing too much I mean it's something they brought in last year to try and add some spice to the championship mm, mm. Um, but obviously Mercedes were just pure dominant last season that it never really had any kind of impact so points were going left right and centre and you know it, it didn't have any sort of impact as to who's going to win the championship whereas you know we've got three rounds remaining if Lewis wins the next two races Max comes second in the next two races and neither of them get the fastest lap point they go mm. into a dead heat going into Abu Dhabi yeah I mean that's yeah. just a fastest lap point and a first lap collision for either one of the drivers 
could seal the world championship. That's how fine margin this season is and how vital getting a fastest lap point could be. Mm. You know, so if Mercedes have track position and they've got a good lead, they could potentially pit from the lead and get the fastest lap. They might do it with Bottas, they might do it with Lewis, probably do it with Bottas mm. out of the two. Um, and then, yeah. And the same with, with Max and, and Sergio. If one of their drivers is, you know, 20 seconds down the road, why not? You're going to have fresh tyres and you're going to catch up as well as have a fastest lap. Yeah, so I guess it's, what you're saying is yes, it's been a good addition. It's been a, it's been a great addition. Um, mm. I think you know as the season's gone on, I think a lot of fans have changed how they feel about the sprint races as well. I think it is yeah, you know, especially some, after Brazil. Yeah, Br- Brazil was a phenomenal track to have done it. You know, we had overtaking, we saw you know great racing, we saw fast mm. cars at the back, and you know it gives that whole dyna- dynamic of. Should they do a race where all the fast guys start at the back and work their way through the field? Because Brazil certainly mm. showed that it can happen. It can't happen yeah. on tracks like Mexico. No. But, you know, Brazil, why not? It has a bit of spice. I think a lot of fans enjoyed seeing, you know, Lewis Hamilton drive through and come through and end up winning the race on the Sunday. Yeah, it was definitely definitely a scintillating watch, that's for sure. And um, it was just, well, yeah, as I say, an incredible drive. But yeah, some standout performances across the grid there. Ferrari back where they would like to be too. Uh, that's just some of the key moments there from Brazil. One of the, well, you know, the, the main things. Oh, and um, we just forgot to mention as well, uh, Verstappen kind of, again, it's on and off the track, but he got a 50,000 euro sized hole in his wallet for touching Lewis's rear wing, of which there have been some controversial thoughts about uh, the legality of the car Um, but we'll come on to talk about that in the next section when we go through the news now uh, and the latest gossip in Formula 1 So we now go into the news for what's happened this week and the first bit of news is we now have a full lineup as to who's going to be on the grid for next season Alfa Romeo have announced Guan Yu Zhou as their final driver, partnering alongside Valtteri Bottas, and he will also be the first Chinese driver to take to the grid full-time, which seems quite an important point in the sport, Jake, on a global front. You know, China, with such a huge population, is kind of a big market to, you know, almost lock down with one driver. Yeah, as I've said, well, as I said last week, I think, or, or previous weeks, it's pretty amazing that we haven't had a Chinese driver on the circuit all this time since the sport began in 1950. You know, we've not had anything uh, like this um, for, for the country. So uh, obviously China has the biggest population on the planet. Um, but, you know, they have loads of people in the Olympics and, and sports like that, but and not a driver on the grid. So, no, it's great to see that the you know the Chinese Grand Prix as well will have a, a driver backed up by it. Obviously, we've been at Shanghai at the international circuit since 2004. So it's great to have a driver on the grid now representing that country uh, and um, a great talent he is as well. Picked up three victories in F2 this season. He's hunting down Oscar Piastri for the title in the final two weekends. Uh, next time out in Jeddah and Saudi Arabia and the final race of the season at Abu Dhabi. So uh, a great appointment and kind of backs up that really weird image we saw on social media a couple of weeks ago where a Alfa Romeo dealership in in China had already sort of semi-announced Guan Yu Zhou as the driver um, in, in, in F1. So don't know how that got through. Maybe someone needs to be 
talk to in the marketing department at Alfa Romeo, but uh, there you are. <laughs> Our rumours were true. They were, they were coming true. And and to be fair, Chris, you, you called Guan Yu Zhou from the start. So uh, look at that. Yeah, it just sort of looked right. I mean, obviously mm. Alpine, you know, they've got obviously Alonso for next season, you know, and obviously Esteban Ocon, Guan Yu Zhou, part of the, well, at the time, Renault Academy programme. Obviously this year it's the Alpine programme. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, looking to to go into sort of new venture with um alfa romeo and and, who knows he might he might even pick out a ferrari in in future years obviously staying with alpine um oscar piastri his title rival in f2 this season Mm. he's also signed up as the alpine reserve driver uh for 2022 so obviously looking potentially like he's going to you know, slip in if Alonso decides 2022 be his final year or 2023, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, if he decides an extra year, potentially 2024, Oscar Piastri gets his, his F1 seat. Yeah. But he, he is a great young driver. Obviously, I think he won the F3 title last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so, yeah, young guns definitely starting to fill the seats in the sport. Yeah, it's very exciting. Although it just... it. It shows a really interesting dynamic at play with F1 and driver seats because Piastri is looking like he's on course to win the F2 title this season um, with a not fairly considerable gap, but you know a, a fairly sizable one uh, going into the last rounds. But Piastri, you know, he's going to win the title, but he's not going to be going straight into an F1 seat. But Guan Yu Zhou, who is possibly going to become second and runner up. Is going straight into an F1 seat, so it's always it's always confusing when you have maybe people on the outside, Chris, that don't follow F1 too much. That okay, how does that how does that work? But of course, there's a lot of sort of money and sponsorship at play, and the big reason as to why Antonio Giovinazzi didn't keep his seat at Alfa Romeo because the money just wasn't there, the backing, and uh, it's a sad sort of state of affairs and a sad truth of F1. But as Antonio Giovinazzi said uh, on his departure, it can be ruthless. How do you how do you assess Antonio's time in F1? Because Giovinazzi, of course, is going to be giving up that seat to Guan Yu Zhou. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit, you know, hard for Giovinazzi. Obviously, it means next season we won't, we won't have any Italian uh, drivers on the grid. Mm, which which is hard to think. In a while. You know, we've always had like a Jano Trulli about, mm. a Giancarlo Fisichella through through the noughties and, and 90s. So we've always had some, you know, Italian in the sport, obviously, we've still got Alfa Romeo as a brand. And we've mm. got, obviously, Ferrari as a brand. And we've got half Italian in Daniel Ricciardo. <laughs> you know, but, you know, it goes along the same with, you know, when Sebastian Vettel goes, we'll have just Mick Schumacher. At one point, we had five German drivers on mm. the mm. You know, so things are very much changing. And, you know, obviously, you're saying with, with money and that, I think Lewis Hamilton said after possibly Monaco, you know, it's money that talks in Formula One these days. Yeah, mm. we don't have many drivers who have had to work their way through, you know, like Lewis Hamilton, his dad having to work three, four jobs to get him to get through karting. You know, a lot of the drivers we have in there now, you know, Mick Schumacher, Max Verstappen, you know, they've all had their parents, you know, be ex racers, mm, mm. and they've all then put their their children through. Obviously, we've got the same with Kimi Raikkonen with his his young kids. Yeah. You know, they're doing karting now. So to see drivers who have not got that background get to Formula 1 is getting ever increasingly difficult. Mm. Um, 
and like I say, you know, teams down the lower part of the grid, they need money to keep going. And if they can get a driver who's good, like Guan Yu Zhou, he's a very great talent, mm. and have money to go with him. Yeah. That's who they Win win, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but hopefully, with his cost caps coming in the next season and, and beyond, that might change. I mean, there's obviously still a lot of money involved. But uh, and, that, and that would be silly of us to disregard that. But hopefully we might see uh, something changing in the near future. And uh, Antonio Giovinazzi will be heading on to uh, Formula E next season, uh, who he's already tested with uh, three years ago with the Dragon and Pence uh, Autosport team. So that's exciting for him and uh, can see that he is going to have this new future. And I kind of I, I don't know, you kind of get the feeling that he'll fit quite well in the Formula E grid it just that and there's obviously former Formula 1 drivers that have gone there but um, yeah Giovinazzi has had some good moments in F1 but I think uh, Formula E is definitely the right way to go and and kind of keeps him fairly close to the F1 grid should he try and engineer a way back one day in in the future of course with these new power units and uh, the team's I don't know, maybe, as, as we say, Alfa Romeo could be going onwards and upwards. Um, but on to our next bit of news now. Ralph Schumacher, talking of Schumacher before, Chris, you mentioned him, Mick, uh, has weighed in on his thoughts regarding Mercedes' raft of engine changes and penalties in the last few races, saying that it gave him a rocket ship in Brazil. But his thoughts go along with that they're only changing engines for performance gain. And I think I've said this to you, Chris, my, my thoughts were that exact that exact same thing rather than reliability issues. Now, Ralph wants to see a rule brought in that prevents teams changing components for anything other than reliability. And if you look back at, let's say, uh, Russia with Valtteri Bottas uh, particularly, that could have been seen as trying to block uh, the Red Bulls in their progress in that race. It didn't really work, but their intentions were that. Um, But then Mercedes have kind of gone along with this line of, oh, yeah, there's been some real teething problems with the engine and we don't want to risk it. Um, But then you can't can't help but go go along with uh, Ralph Schumacher's view that it has been for performance gain. Um, I mean... How do you you sort of see it? You you can see it that way, but also you look at it at Russia, Max then took a full engine because he had a penalty from Mm. Monza. So it works both ways. Red Bull have gone out and got a full brand new engine when they didn't need to. You know, they're going to get a grid penalty, whether a grid penalty is enough. Obviously, we've got a budget cap coming in. It's going to cost them more to keep running more and more engines. But, you know, if they can afford to do that with, you know, the cost cap involved, you know, then let them it's racing at the end of the day you know if they've they've got the budget to fork out for a new engine let them have it you know they clearly made provisions to say oh we might need a new budget later down the the season Mm, mm. we'll save that money hopefully don't go into too many accidents save the money put it into a new engine and then be rapid at the end of the season yeah you know it's it's not just performance game it's quite smart thinking Mm. for future years yeah lots of uh, strategy at play off the track uh, in terms of all components and logistical decisions all of that very yeah, very smart thinking but uh, yeah I, I kind of feel like Mercedes are doing that but there's nothing in the rules that says they can't not do that so um, no. that's, that's fair enough McLaren and McLaren though say about the decision about Max and Lewis in Brazil which we were talking about just uh, a few minutes ago it will alter how drivers approach overtaking from here on in, like overtaking around the outside and forcing drivers off the track. There is clearly uh, a regulation, uh, an article that says you cannot force uh, 
a drive off track deliberately basically and run them out of road you've got to give them the space and when they're on the inside when there's a uh, at least a, a car alongside you and even if like in brazil there was lewis along alongside him and slightly ahead of max in the braking zone then that's got to change but how can drivers change their approach to that because i feel like chris it's quite an innate it's quite an innate ability and an innate reaction very spontaneous in the moment i mean you you don't have a lot of time to think about these kind of things so well, and because we, we've seen so moves in them. very similar to this with max before um involving leclerc funny enough mm-hmm. um at austria i believe 2018 mm-hmm. um obviously coming to the last few laps and then up towards turn three and max went on the inside and leclerc had to go off the track to avoid him so i think drivers in recent years have started you know adapting the way they drive and that but i mm. think you know getting concrete right you can do this it it potentially could open up a can of worms um, yeah causing potentially more accidents especially if drivers aren't expecting you to basically force them off the track mm. um it, it could say with, with budget caps it could cause more accidents and then obviously more team finance so i think even if it was something like a reprimand and then next time, you know, we see it, it gets severer, like, a bit like with the 50,000 euro mm. fine. You know, the more you do it, the more it's going to get implemented and more penalties are going to be awarded. Yeah. Um, but by the fact that they've said, you know, we didn't need to investigate, you know, it's kind of allowing that, you know, it's now the norm. You can both go off the track and no one mm. gets a, a warning. Mm. Yeah, I still think it's strange that they didn't need to investigate it at all, that they didn't even touch it or consider it. But the decision itself, I kind of, I kind of go with. Um, but there's also this thing of people have been mentioning that um, there's gonna, there's been inconsistencies with, well, as the, as, as we've spoken about track limits this season and and what's what's what and what's not right. But then also in terms of this and overtaking sort of uh, discipline, if you like, because if you remember. In, in Austria, you're referencing to uh, early on in the season, Lando Norris forced another car off the track uh, down from the second straight into the long sweeping right hand. Funny enough, it was Sergio Perez. And it was Sergio Perez, and that got a penalty. And yeah. arguably, that's the similar scenario. But then this time it wasn't. So I think there's just a bit of concern there. There's a lack of consistency or... I mean, uh, Austria uh, is very much, standard. you get a penalty, you get a penalty, everybody gets a penalty because <laughs> Perez has got two penalties for the exact same thing as well. Yeah. So yeah. it's very much, if, if you can do it for one event and you can't for another, then that's when the stewards need to mm. sort of have a look. Well, it's like in football, isn't it? When a referee gives a red card for one incident, and then if he's given a red car for that incident, which if people's view is like, no, that's not too bad, he then has to apply that same standard to whatever other incident as well. So, uh, yeah, it, it kind of it you kind of have to be consistent. I think you can't do that in Formula One where you can do it game by game or race by race. It has to be across the board because, well, these teams are so analytical and 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 yeah, you know, look at every fine detail. Uh, and I just don't think you can take that risk. But look, we're not the race directors. We don't have all the data. We don't know what's going on uh, for the for the whole telemetry or anything like that. And we only see what we see. So, you know, it is what it is at the end of the day. And um, if drivers, uh, you know, change their approach, then hopefully it won't be 
too drastic. Um, but yeah, that's that's all on that. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. McLaren have also denied this week that um, Audi have completed a takeover of the team. Now, this is looking forward to sort of the next few years in the sport where Audi and Porsche, the VW group who own Audi and Porsche, are looking to get onto the grid uh, into 2025, 2026, either through McLaren with the Audi brand or Red Bull tying up with Porsche. Now, uh, you know, I love the phrase, there's no smoke without fire. However, in this case, well, do you think it would have been that, Chris? Or do you think there's some sort of merit in this, in this rumour and that there could have been some move made by Audi? Um, I feel like if they were going to get into the Formula 1, they'd potentially try and get in on their own feet. I mean, we spoke mm. about this last week. Um, and, you know, McLaren very much want to keep themselves to themselves. They want to, you know, keep the name McLaren as a racing brand. Yeah. Um, obviously, Audi want, would want to be a name in Formula 1 as well. They wouldn't want to be called McLaren Audi or Audi McLaren because one of them <laughs> no. wouldn't be happy about it. Yeah. You know, Porsche, you know, if if they're going with Red Bull... It'll be Red Bull Porsche. Would Porsche be happy wanting to be, you know, a, a side part? Mm-hmm. Or would they want mm-hmm. to, you know, be part of their own brand? A bit like with uh, the World Endurance Championship, you know, both are part of it. Both fight for themselves. They don't have any, you know, other teams or backing for them. They, they, they are Porsche and they are Audi. You know, that is it. So I, I don't see them wanting to sort of merge. Um, they might ask for tips, you know, and they might, you know, get some advice from from them teams. Yeah. Um, you know, and then be like a sort of customer team, but mm. it'll be still their own brand. Yeah, yeah. No, it's um, it's an interesting one, though, because, I mean, just think of a... It makes more sense for Red Bull to tie it with Porsche because Porsche would be like, oh, wow, look at all this sponsorship. Look at the brand. It's great for us in terms of bringing in revenue and, and obviously money for, for the team and the grid and et cetera, et cetera. However, when you look at McLaren and Audi, they're both really uh, strong individual car brands on their own. And that doesn't really make sense when them two join up, really, does it? Whereas when Red Bull is more of a, you know, a, a promotional team and it and it goes off the you know they every day they make energy drinks they don't they're not an engineering company that's what they didn't start anyway of course they're well across sports in in the world but they make energy drinks and then they just happen to be on the grid so that would make more sense but yeah no interesting to think that um well, when I, when I saw this, I was a bit like, mm, that doesn't that doesn't seem right. So, um, but it's amazing how quickly travel news can travel and and rumors can spread. I'm not saying we're trying to spread the rumor even more, but just thought it was interesting to bring up. Um, and moving on to our next Grand Prix in Saudi Arabia in Jeddah, because there have been some questions and doubts whether the circuit in Jeddah is actually going to be finished um, in time for, for the race to go ahead. And there were some doubts, I think a few weeks ago, Chris, where we were saying uh, and, and in the news that it was possible that this Grand Prix wasn't going to go ahead and that would totally affect the title battle. There'd be less points on offer to uh, alter the course of the championship. But F1 and Herman Tilke are absolutely confident that this Jeddah circuit is going to be completed in time, saying it's been the most challenging project of the company's history. The 12-month time frame that they've put on this project has been the fastest turnaround of any project under Tilka, uh, who also designed Spang's Malaysia circuit, uh, Abu Dhabi's Yas Marina circuit, uh, Austin's circuit, the Americas, uh, amongst many others, of course, that he's 
designed for Formula One over the years. Now, me and you, Chris, we've played it on the F1 game. We've been going at it on time trial, trading best times. Uh, you're currently ahead of me, sadly, um, annoyingly. Yep. Um, but from a from a After fan's many perspective, from you anyway. From many attempts, yeah, I've spent a day doing it. I think. Um, yeah, I spent about an hour and a half last night. Yeah, right. Don't rub it. Don't rub it in. Um, <laughs> you clearly take to tracks much quicker than I do. But uh, in, in that respect, what do you make of it uh, when you're driving on the game? Is it a good track? Are you excited to see the racing that it will produce? Because it's, it's incredibly it's, quick. It's, it's a very, very quick track. Um, looking at it, it's, it's going to be very suited to Mercedes for the straight line speed. Mm. Um, but there's, there's quite a few technical parts that you can sort of see the Red Bull, you know, w- would probably suit better as well. Especially the first sector. Yeah, the first sector is very tight and twisty. Um, and very close to the walls as well. It's, mm. it's very much a street track. Reminds me of a little bit of um, Yeongam, the um, the Korean circuit, um, especially the third sector. When you're going through that first sector, the walls are very close and they come at you very, very fast. And that was always quite fun to drive. Um, I, I, I suspected we're going to see at least a couple of people getting it wrong. Do you think the same? You're going to see safety cars in oh, that race, do you think? It's, it's going to be... You know, if one driver gets it wrong, they'll probably all get it wrong. You know, yeah. I think mm. I heard David Croft saying, you know, it's supposed to be dry, which you wouldn't expect anything <laughs> less in the desert. Yeah. Um, but, you know, with potential sandstorms, bit bit of sand going across the track, mm. yeah. grip's going to be very limited. It's a brand new surface as well. And we saw what happened at uh, Austin. And it will be brand new. Ago. It'll be brand new. It'll be literally days old. <laughs> yeah. Um, we obviously saw in, in Turkey and, and Austin, you know, in, in recent years when they've had to resurface mm. that, you know, it's just not great. You know, we saw the difference between Turkey last year when we raced in November to Turkey this year. You know, wet, wet tyres this year were competing with dry times last year. That's how di- how much a year makes in terms of betting in the track yeah so it's going to be very very slidey to begin with i can imagine luckily mm. unlike what they've got in the sale this week they do have feeder series which can help lay rubber down um but yeah it's it's going to be a very fast track you've got a high chance of a safety car um you know one one little thing and, uh, you know, you, you could be into the barrier and it's not going to be very forgiving if you do go on the barrier because it's right next to the track. Yeah, there's no, there's not much runoff at all uh, in a lot of parts of the track. So, yeah, be very interesting to see how that plays out. And they're going to have to have their wits about them if they want to keep on the track and going straight on. Finally, in this new section, let's finish on this current rear wing gate. Uh, it doesn't sound very sexy at all but you know like previous ones like spy gate or anything i don't know what else to call it really um drs gate the letterbox gate <laughs> letterbox gate whatever you call it um and this is about red ball which they've sort of calmed down a little bit after qualifying we're recording this after qualifying in qatar they've calmed down a bit now because mercedes and red ball straight line speed are more even but uh before this in the in the previous races mercedes rear wings were being questioned particularly with the score marks on their wing uh, but then rebels also which oscillates under load and has been doing so uh, in qatar uh, in the free practice sessions it's actually apparently costing them performance something like two temps but again they seem to have fixed that um, but as per usual there's just much happening off the track as on it how do you view both of 
the rear wings and and their situations for Mercedes and Rebel because Mercedes when they're talking about these score marks it looks like where the score marks uh, are on the rear wing it looks like that that wing is flexing under under load which I, I if I'm right in saying certain rules don't allow that to happen it must yeah, must they, be they that fixed after, after Spain when Red Bull had their um clarification yeah or technical directive as it's called isn't it but um how do you how do you how do you judge both the situations because and obviously less drag on the car then the quicker they go in a straight line to say because mercedes have said that they've gone through the tests and the fia are completely happy with it red bull saying they're not happy with it so they you know if they win by a huge amount then they're going to protest you know it's something like that that could potentially decide the championship, which, you know, Red Bull are going to very much try and get in their favour. Mm. Mercedes are very adamant in saying that, you know, it's nothing illegal. Um, as as race fans, we don't want to see anything decided off track. We want to see no. it on track. Um, but at the same point, Red Bull, you know, we've seen it for the past four Grand Prix. They've had issues with their rear wings and, you know, they've been changing parts in part Fermi with replica parts to which I think I heard in qualifying this afternoon say that they actually don't have any more parts um, to swap with if they have a rearing issue between now and the race. Right. Okay. Yeah. Which is not great. So yeah, I mean, both teams look like they're having problems, but I feel like that's because both teams are really pushing each other in that area. And they've both sort of figured out that that is an area where they can really um, capitalize and, find the performance in this formula of these cars and also Mercedes clever suspension being questioned as well when under braking and under load um, and how the suspension grounds the car in more uh, in in certain corners and that's been quite interesting to follow as well so just lots of little debates going on like this that makes such a massive difference um, given a few millimetres in the rear wing of like not drawn on their car but like created the score marks themselves just to annoy Red Bull <laughs> Do you think if they actually do that? Who, well, they've who, got who they've got like a they've got like a rubber and just they go into the pits and erased. You just see a guy like going in there and like scraping the rear wing, <laughs> or they just paint they paint it slightly white just to make it look a little bit like that. Um, but yeah, all, I mean, all within a two point three second pit stop. Yeah, I I wouldn't put it past any of these teams because they're the things and the ideas they come up with are just um, very clever and innovative. Look. That's all the news for this week, and there's been plenty to get through and discuss there. Uh, right, let's look ahead to the sale uh, in Qatar this weekend for the Grand Prix. Okay, well, looking ahead to this weekend, it's the inaugural Grand Prix at Qatar, which MotoGP has raced around a lot at the uh, LaSalle International Circuit. But it's proven to be a real favourite of the drivers, very fast and sweeping uh, on full throttle for something like 86% of the lap, I believe. So it's really, really quick. Not much braking happening at all. Uh, Chris, we've recorded this after qualifying. Uh, If you don't want to hear the qualifying result, please pause now and turn away. And if you have done that and we haven't done that and you don't care because you know the qualifying result, we know that Lewis is on pole by four and a half tenths, which was, you know, an impressive display, really yeah. hooked up the lap into the it, one minute twenty. Stunning lap. Like we, we saw in the first run in Q three. He looked like he lost a lot of time in the first sector, to which Max picked up some time. 
Mm. But when it came to it, you know, they went out early, turned out to be the very correct thing to do um, Mm. and absolutely nailed the lap. Obviously, we saw Pierre Gasly going for his run, went across the curb on the second to last corner and losing his front wing, which then absolutely shredded his front tyre. Yeah. Which basically put an end to the session because of the yellow flags um, and, and obviously Max and Valtteri having to slow down, which basically gave us the top three, you know, before they even crossed the line, which, mm-hmm. you know, we, we don't want to see that. But, you know, I don't think either of them were in any kind of league to to beat Lewis, you know. No. He's still got a very fresh engine in there. It's only done one Grand Prix. But Lewis very much since, you know, having some issues yesterday in practice, which he said mm. he'd been having a bit of a bug. Um, looked looked very strong today um, and very much in qualifying, at least. Very dominant. Wasn't in ill health whatsoever, but uh, hooked together a brilliant lap. And um, if we're honest, kind of blitzed the field, really. Um, Valtteri Bossas, his teammate, six and a half temps back from Lewis Hamilton. So it's Lewis Hamilton lining up in first. We've got Max Verstappen in second, keeping him honest, uh, as he has done, uh, as they've both done throughout this whole season. And Valtteri Bottas um, up there in third place, being a rear gunner for Lewis Hamilton. However, I mean, we can talk about this now. The big shock, Chris, out of qualifying, was that Sergio Perez didn't even get into Q3. It's in P11. Yes, that's, it's, it's a big shock, but it's also, you know, gutting for Red Bull. You know, mm. the time of the season where they need their rear gunner to help, you know, Max Verstappen. You know, the guy that had been doing it in Mexico, he's doing it in Brazil. Mm. Nowhere to be seen. Like, it just seemed to get out on track at the wrong possible time. And even with soft tyres, yeah. could not even get into the top 10 with guys that did their lap on mediums. And Carlos so, signs ahead of him in 10th on the mediums in the Ferrari. Yeah, so that just shows, you know. It's going to be a very difficult afternoon for Red Bull if, um, you know, first first lap goes the way Mercedes won it. You know, mm, Max is mm. on the dirty side of the grid. It's going to be very much the dirty side of the grid with no support races. Yeah. Racing line is on, very much on the side of uh, pole. Um, you know, obviously Valtteri is going to get a slipstream straight away from Lewis. Yeah. Potentially could get into the lead of the race. But, you know, more importantly, we'll try and get ahead of Max which, mm. you know, in turn will hopefully see a, a great battle for the rest of the race. But strategy-wise, it's very much all hands in Mercedes' favour. Yeah, very much so. They've got the ace card up their sleeve um, before we've even started, really. Although Red Bull might have. You never know. Lots can happen in a race. But uh, it looks like overtaking is going to be quite difficult in here in Qatar because just of the incredible speed that they're carrying through all these turns, not much braking uh, opportunity. So it's going to have to be on real merit, real pace and driver skill. Look, we know the top three then. We know that Hamilton will be starting first, uh, led by Max Verstappen and Valtteri Bottas in third. Now, let's predict the race and how it's going to finish. Uh, Chris, do you see Lewis giving this one up or do you think it's a, a strong mean, victory for him? Pace-wise, pace it's I'd say race pace is going to be quite close, but you know, over one lap, if, if Lewis needs to get ahead of Max you know, mm. down that straight, we've only got the one DRS straight, I feel like he's going to be you know, doing it. But, you know, it's very much dependent on what Valtteri can do in the first lap. I think if Valtteri can get into second, yeah. Lewis will sail off into the distance. Um, but if Max can keep himself there, again, it could be quite difficult to pass. And importantly as well to mention, though, even though Perez is not up there, 
Ironically, Pierre Gasly is in P4 in the Alpha Tauri. So technically, he's got his rear gunner if uh, Pierre Gasly wants to get in the mix and try and get in front of Valtteri Bottas. Well, the irony is as well, not, not only did um, both Alpha Tauris get through from Q2 into Q3, which helped eliminate Perez, but obviously the yellow flags <laughs> kind of killed Max getting yeah. a faster lap in if, if he needed to. So, um, All right, Chris, come on in. Let's predict who's going to... Who's going to pick up the race? I think Lewis, Lewis seems to be in fine form at the minute. He's got mm-hmm. the confidence. He's got the car. He's got, you know, the crowds seem to be very much behind Lewis in, in Qatar. So I feel like Lewis is going to be mm. very hard to, to beat. I have to agree with you on that one. Um, P2, we think that um, uh, annoyingly as it is that we say this same three every week do you think it's going to be Max Verstappen coming in second I certainly do no you don't no mm. what makes you think that I feel like Mercedes is just too strong here okay so you think uh, that that kind of signals to me you think Bottas is going to come through fair enough um, and then finally for third place who are we thinking well who are you going to say for third? Because obviously my second and your second are very different. <laughs> I still think Bottas is going to is 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 going to take third. However, for third, you you're going to think Max, or you're going to think someone completely different again. Uh, I mean, I'm going to go Max. I'm going to be boring, but it would be nice <laughs> to see someone different. Yeah. If, if Gasly can get there, I mean, how crazy would that be for the championship? That would be, well, that would all all but cement AlphaTauri's uh, fifth place in the constructors' championship, and considering you know the competition that's around them in the midfield, that would be a really great result for that team and the machinery that and they've very got. Very much beating the likes of Aston Martin, who got predicted second. <laughs> Let's not bring that up. Let's not bring that up. Aston Martin <laughs> still have time to pull off a, an incredible performance tomorrow and in the last few races. Yeah, <laughs> it's not going to happen, is it? Uh, well, look, uh, those are our predictions. So we were predicting Lewis Hamilton is going to pick up the victory. Chris thinks Bottas is going to take second, whereas I think Max is going to claim second place and keep the pressure on Hamilton. And it's pretty much the other way around for third place. Who would you want to go for third. for fastest lap? Because that, that could be vital. Fastest lap? It could be Sergio Perez way no, back I, I, at, the, at the big at the grid again. I think it's going to be Perez. Yeah, I feel like Perez. If if Mercedes still have it, I feel like yeah. Perez will just pit. Like they'll, yeah, they'll kill off the constructors and they'll yeah. just pit him to, to get Max an extra point. Yeah. Well, look, there we go. There's our predictions. Uh, it's going to be a great race in Qatar. It's such a great circuit, and I'm enjoying watching it as much as the drivers are driving around it. Uh, we will see you next time here on Round the Outside. We've got a, a week's break before we head on over to uh, Jeddah in Saudi Arabia um, but until then um, enjoy the race and uh, don't get too excited about the title it's 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 hotting up but uh, we're nearly there and uh, we're on episode 31 now we've done so many of these and we've just been so uh, happy and uh, excited to bring you these episodes and talk about the thing that we love as much as you do hopefully uh, it's been me Jake here and me Chris we'll see you very soon take care mm-hmm.